Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. We're going to take up our offering before we do the baby dedication. So we believe in, in tithing, giving offerings, you know, giving our a tenth of of what of our increase to the Lord and offerings above that and that stuff. But you know, we could we could try to scare people into doing it by teaching, you know, from Malachi and stuff like that. But truthfully, it's like this. There was a law that said you had to give a certain percent and you knew exactly what you had to give in the old covenant. There was a law in the old covenant that told you you couldn't kill or you were guilty of murder. There was a law that said you couldn't sleep with someone that wasn't your wife or you were guilty of adultery. And then Jesus comes along, fulfills the law, and says, you know, the law says, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you look at your brother with hatred in your heart towards them, you're guilty of murder. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Every instance, what's required of us under grace is way harder than what was asked of us under the law. But there's also the ability, because of grace, to live the way that we're called to live. And so in the new, in the new covenant, if our giving was so much less required of us, it wouldn't even make sense. It'd be the first time that under grace, less was asked of us. Under grace, it's all His. And so we just... We want to be cheerful givers. The, the Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so this is something we do and talk about a lot. But there's principles in the Word. But if you can't cheerfully do them, then it's time to ask God, God, why can't I be cheerful in giving like this? Why am I a slave to a principle rather than joyfully giving? Because if you love a cheerful giver, God, then that means there's a way that I can live where I give cheerfully. And so if, if when, when you're in a church setting and, and the talk of money or giving or offerings comes up and something in your heart rises up and you know that it's not a cheerful thing for you to give, then I would just ask, don't give. Not this week. But I would also ask, just get alone with Him and ask Him, God, why is it that when finances are raised in church, this thing grips my heart? Lord, your word says that you love a cheerful giver. Why is it that I can't cheerfully give? What am I not seeing? What do I not understand that keeps me from actually cheerfully and happily giving to you? And be honest with him and let him speak to your heart about that. Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe it's, you know, I I trust this money more than I trust your provision, God. Whatever it is, just ask him. He'll tell you. He's faithful. He's never called us to a standard that He hasn't empowered us to live by. He's never asked you to be a cheerful giver without being able to supply the ability to be cheerful when you give. So God, I just thank You for that. I thank You for Your promises. I thank You that everything You've asked of us, grace has supplied us for. That You've never asked from us more than You've supplied us. And so as we give, God, we give with a cheerful heart, knowing that You say that, that, that anything that we give, God, is multiplied for the kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um.
yeah, they're going to pass the baskets right now, and, and then we're going to uh, do the baby dedication. Um, you know, this baby dedication, we, it's really more for the parents and for us as a church family. Um, these babies may not even understand what's being said, but the fruit of it will be seen in their lives for years to come. Um, Because we believe the Bible says that if we train up a child in the way that they should go when they're old, they won't depart from it. We believe that it admonishes us to raise them in the fear and the love of God. So we want them to know that from a young age. We also believe that it takes more than just two people to raise a child. We believe that God places us in a a community of people, of believers, as a family our children grow up together and that we teach our children we teach each other's children when your kids are at my house I treat them like my own children when my kids are at your house you treat them like your own children and the example that we set is an example of love an example of Jesus so that our children grow up to desire what we have so that the gospel isn't something we're forcing upon them the gospel is actually something they want because they've seen the fruit of it in our lives and that there's a day coming when they'll look and say I want what you have And we'll come to that place where they accept Jesus, surrender their lives to Him, be filled with His Spirit, and live yielded to Him. And to that end, we as a church family want to pledge our support to you. And to that end, we as parents want to promise to God that we will do our best to do that with our children. So if you have kids here that that for part of the baby dedication, if you want to bring them up front, um, we just line up right across the front. If there's any family members that want to come up here with you, we can, you can come on up with them. Uh, we're going to pray for them from where we're at, but if you want to come up, if there's parents that want to stand with them or whatever, yeah, just come on up right now. Line up across the front. Look at all these kids. Uh, there's so many. And listen, there's so many more coming. There's so many. Pre- someone told me the other day, look, there is something in the water at your church because everybody that goes there gets pregnant. Well, listen, listen, like, it's the fruit of love. Wherever there's love, there's fruit. And it's the fruit of love that you see all these people walking around, women with bellies sticking out. It's coming, I promise. We got any more that are coming up? Yeah, come on up, bring them up here. I'm just lining across the front. <laughs> she wants to be here too. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't want to miss out either. So here's what we're going to do. We find the example in the Bible where Hannah brought Samuel to God, believing that he was a blessing from the Lord and saying, his life is yielded to you. His life is surrendered to you. Let him serve you all the days of his life. And so that's what we want to do with these children today. We just want to hold them up before the Lord and say, God, these, these children, we believe they came from you. Listen, God, every one of us is a foster parent because every one of us is simply raising one of God's children for a time and then releasing them to be who He created them to be. And the amazing thing about this is, is that whether you feel competent or not, whether you feel qualified or not, God trusted you with that little life. When He looked down and saw you, and He formed that baby together in the mother's womb, He said, these people I'll entrust this life to, and they'll raise them to become the people that I imagined them and dreamed them to be. And so whenever you don't feel confident, it's okay, because your confidence isn't in you, it's in Him. And if he trusts you with his kids, then you should trust yourself with them. And if you feel like you can't do it, it's okay. I remember when, I, when, when Patty and I found out that we were going to have our first child. And I was like, 
what, 23 at the time? Yeah. I was a kid, and I remember thinking, like, I can't be a dad. I don't know all the things my dad knows. He knew everything. (laughs) And then I got older, and I realized my dad knew a lot, but he didn't know everything. He just knew more than I did. And it's the same way with raising your kids to love Jesus. You don't have to know everything. You just have to be following Jesus so that you're someone they can follow. Just have to be one step ahead of them on that path of saying, I'm going to go after you with every day of my life so that as they follow you, they follow Christ. Because if Paul could say that to a church, then we as parents should say that to our children. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me because if you follow my life, you'll end up at Jesus because that's where I'm heading. So dads, if you could hold the kids, or if there's more than one, the moms can hold one too. I mean, this is what we're going to do. Just dads as the priest of the home. Yeah, because... I think everyone has more than one. <laughs> All right, well, fine, but <laughs> I know. Look at these two. God looked down and smiled at Lindsay and Brandon and said, and with those, I got two for the price of one here. It's awesome. So just do this. Just hold your children out, if you can, a little bit, and just hold them. We're just, we're just raising them symbolically up to the Lord and just saying this. Just, just repeat this after me. God, I thank you for this child. I thank you that you've entrusted us with them. God, help us to raise them in the fear and love of you. Help us to set an example that leads them to Jesus. That they would follow our lives and find you. We thank you for these children. We commit ourselves to seeing them become everything you imagined, every dream you dreamed over them, every word you spoke over them, every song you sang over them. In Jesus' name, amen. And now church family, if you would, just extend your hands towards these parents. Because legitly, we'll all help raise each other's children. Because our kids will be in homes together and They'll be taught by people here in children's church and and youth and they'll spend time with your kids and they'll learn what you've taught your kids and your kids will rub off on my kids and my kids will rub off on your kids and at the end, they'll be a product of this church family and what we believe and who we are. So let's just extend our hands towards these people and let's just pray for them right now and offer them our support. God, we thank you for these people. We thank you you that you've placed them in our church family, that you've entrusted us with their children. God, I ask that we would be everything that we can be, God, that we would do everything that we can do to support and help these parents as they raise these children. That they would be blessed, God, because of being part of this family. God, that they would know You, that they would seek You, that they would love You, that they would find You every day of their life. And God, help us to continue to encourage and to pray for and to believe in them as parents. To encourage them when they get discouraged, God. To rejoice with them when they rejoice, God. To walk with them through this journey that you've called them to of raising these children to be the godly men and women that you designed them to be. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep each one of you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let God's countenance be lifted up on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I pray that, that nothing that we ever do here would just be a ceremony. I pray that we would mean this stuff, that we would be involved in each other's lives and encourage each other and challenge each other and be a family and genuinely be a family. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be speaking from there quite a bit. Um, so this is the first... Uh, Sunday, first time we've got to gather besides Wednesday night worship, but as a church family of the new year. I'm really excited because I, I do feel like, um, I feel like 2017 was a year of shaking and testing. I feel like so many things were shaken, I feel like so many things were tested. And I, I, I know there were times where maybe we didn't feel like we passed the test so well, and there were times where we felt like, man, that was awesome. It just proved what, what I knew. But, but here we are. We're still seeking Him. Still say He's worthy. Still thankful, still grateful. Um, and so, the, the word that, that I feel like the Lord has for me to share today is, is a challenging word, but it's also a beautiful word because... Um, He's not concerned with foundations that he doesn't plan to build on. He has no concern for a foundation that he doesn't plan to build something on. And the more he plans to build on it, the greater his concern is for it. And you'll see what I mean here in a minute when we get into the message. But I want to just read a few scriptures before I do. It's in John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus is talking. This is Jesus. He says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, He's the one that loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I'll show myself to him. You know, when we sing songs like, show me your glory, God, I want to see your face, these, these songs, and, and Jesus says, here's an easy way that I'll show myself to you. It's this, that you would love me to the point that you would actually follow the things that I've asked for you to follow. That you would actually be obedient to the things I've called you to. It's not like a mystery, and it's not a formula like, oh, I want to see you, so I'm going to be obedient. He's saying, listen, if you love me, along with that love will come a desire to do the things I've called you to do. And with the obedience that that brings, you'll see me. I'll show myself to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. This is John as an elder man. He's walked with Jesus. He's laid his head on Jesus' chest. He understands that Jesus loves him. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, and now he's an older man. He's writing these letters to the church and he's trying to distill down for them everything that, that he can and, and just give them stuff as simply as possible. And he says this, real straightforward. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth's not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 
That's pretty straightforward. Um, it's not like a suggestion. It's not a, a theory. It's not like a hypothesis. This is actually the, the Word of God. He says, we, come to, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. We say we know Him, but we don't do what He's asked us to do. We're lying. The truth is in, in us. Who, who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And He's saying, if you're not wanting to follow Him, it's because He's not in you. If there's an area of your life that you're not wanting to follow Him in, that you're not actually doing what He's asked of you to do, He's not in that part of your life. He's not there with you. He's there in the sense He'll never leave you or forsake you. But He's not in that part of your life at all. He says, this is how we know we're in Him. When we talk about being in, in Christ, in Him. Paul says over and over again, in Christ, in Him. And, and we talk about that a lot. Who we are in Him and we're in Christ. This, this covenant relationship that we have. He said, I and you, you and me. And He says, this is how we, we know we're in Him. If we claim that, we have to live the way that Jesus lived. That's a pretty bold statement. He continues in chapter 5, 1 John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. He says, this is, this is loving him. Loving him is keeping the things that he commanded us to do. And his commands don't feel like a, a burden to us. We're not bothered. And just being honest, when I read these verses, they challenge me. They, they, they do. They challenge me because... It almost seems like legalism to an extent, but it's not because you understand that he's talking about this in the context of relationship. He's not saying do these things so that you can have relationship. He's saying here's the proof of the relationship. This is a litmus test for your relationship with him. This is a litmus test for, for where he's at in, the, in, in, in this area of your life. Are you actually living the way that he lived? And that's a pretty high standard but it's the standard that all of us are called to, and it's the standard that grace empowers us into. Grace is not an excuse to not do these things. Grace is the ability to actually fulfill the things that He's asked for us to fulfill. And, and if, if, just be honest, like when I'm reading these verses, sometimes I find myself going, yeah, but, and, and trying to find other scriptures, but the truth of the matter is, is I can't drag grace in to contradict what Jesus said. That grace is never to contradict a clear command of Jesus. Grace is the empowerment of that command. And so I, I can't say, well, yeah, but, well, yeah, but, listen, that, that, here's the thing. So are you saying that if I don't do everything Jesus did, that, that, that I'm not saved, I'm going to go to, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus said that if you love him, you would actually keep his commands. John says, if you love him, you'll keep his commands and they're not burdensome. Doesn't mean they're always easy. It just means that it's not a burden. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is a, a burden on me. So in Matthew chapter 7, when we get into more, that stuff more, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 
Jesus is speaking. He says, therefore, everyone who hears the words of, these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You realize that Jesus is not talking about people who don't know his word and people that do. See, sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that because we've heard the word, that we're good. But Jesus actually makes it real clear and says, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And then he contrasts that with the person who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice. So we're not talking about people who don't know Jesus' heart, who've never heard his words, or who, you know what the truth of the matter is? They may have his words stenciled on their kitchen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Stenciled on the pantry. Uh, They may sing songs that contain his word. They may be able to quote it. They may be even able to tell other people his word and encourage other people with his word. But Jesus says none of that matters. None of that changes anything. Here's what changes things. When I hear his word, do I actually act on it? Does it change my life? Does it change the way I think? Does it change the way that I live? Do I put his words into practice? And I, I sometimes, um, I, I said I'm afraid earlier, and I feel like, you know, when you said people are like, oh, there's no fear in love. <laughs> so I don't want to say that. But, but I am concerned <laughs> that in this age of instant access to podcasts and YouTube and messages and teaching and live streams and all the ways that we can access and gain knowledge that sometimes our desire for knowledge supersedes our desire to act upon the knowledge we've received already. That we become people who are always learning but never actually experiencing what the truth that we learned was supposed to bring us to. And we don't actually stop and consider, I actually have a responsibility. Jesus said, he who hears my word and puts them into practice. In other words, once you've heard the word, now there comes a responsibility along with that word to actually act upon that word. It's not okay to just say, I know his word. It's that, that does nothing for you if that doesn't actually become something that changes the way that you live. So Jesus is saying, listen, Let's just say there's a man, right? And, and, uh, and he lives next door to a man who has never heard the gospel. And this man goes to church every week and knows the word and can quote the word and always is talking about the word and telling others about the word. And, and this man is like a man who's standing next to his neighbor and sees a storm coming and looks at his neighbor and says, you know, it's really important that you have a foundation that's on a solid surface. You can't build on sand. You actually need to find rock. You need to find virgin, solid ground. 
Because if you, if you don't, see a foundation actually is what withstands the pressure. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a solid building base so that the house that's built upon it, when they frame on it, when they, when they hang sheetrock on it, and they do what they do, that it actually is the thing that when the wind and pressure comes, it transfers through the house and it goes to the foundation. And because the foundation is solid, it actually keeps the walls up. And So it's really important that you have a, a solid foundation. It's really important that you've built your house on something solid. Don't, don't build it on sand. And, and for all the world watching and all the world looking, these two men with houses, their houses look the exact same. And there's another guy down the street that actually built his house on a solid foundation. And so they have three houses. One doesn't know you need a solid foundation, so he's built on sand. One has heard and knows that you need a solid foundation, but never bothered to actually build his house on one. And then one who heard you need a solid foundation decided, that's how I'm going to build my house. And on the outside looking in, all three of these houses look the same. And when there's no wind, when there's no storm, when there's nothing beating against the house, there's no pressure, everything's fine. But when a storm comes, and the wind beats on the house, and the rain beats on the house, and the creek rises, and both this house and this house are going to collapse into a heap. And nobody walking along would come to the two houses next to each other that are collapsed and destroyed and say, obviously one of these guys knew to build his house on a solid foundation and one of these guys didn't. Because what this guy knew meant nothing because he didn't actually act on it. it we can know things. But if we don't act on them, it, you can... Listen to me. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, you guys clean the outside of the cup. He said, you, you look really good on the outside. What's he saying? He said, you guys have built a beautiful house. And everybody looking at your house thinks, wow, that's a beautiful house. He said, but outside, you look really good, but inside, you're empty. You're like whitewashed tombs. What is he saying? He said, listen, you guys can speak the Word over and over again. But it hasn't changed anything. What good is it for you to know the prophecies of the Messiah if when the Messiah comes, they haven't changed the way you think to the point that you can see? What good is it if you know the law? He said, you know, you, he talked to them, he said, you know that you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. He says, but you guys have a law that says if you say whatever I have is Corbin, that is dedicated to the Lord, you can withhold from your mother and your father in their time of need. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, it doesn't do any good that you know the law because it doesn't change the way that you live. Because you know what you're supposed to do, but it doesn't actually change the way you live. But you've made this other rule so that on the outside everything looks good. You did a really nice job of putting a veneer on the building. The problem is, is that it's built on top of sand. And when a storm comes, when actually you have pressure in life, everything will be revealed. And notice this, Jesus says, he says, so they build their house. He says, and then the storm comes. 
I honestly believe there is never a storm that comes into your life that you weren't first given time to prepare the foundation against. Think about the disciples on the boat with Jesus. It says that they were on a boat with Jesus. They're going across. You know, the storm comes. Notice the the similarities. It says the, the wind beat on them, the rain beat on them, and the waters rose, the waves rose. Same things. And their foundation was revealed. Because instead of being confident in what Jesus had spoke to them, instead of being confident that if he said we're going to the other side, we're going to go to the other side, instead of being confident that every word he spoke, he's given the grace to actually see it through, they'd get terrified and they run to him and tell him we're going to die. And he says to them, why is it you still have no faith? What was he saying? You guys, why is it that the things you've heard from me haven't actually changed the way that you think and changed the way that you live? There's a storm coming for any area of your life. You know, notice it's, it doesn't say that the storm came just to the house that was built on sand and it avoided it. Sometimes we have this idea that being born again means that Jesus is like this wind barrier and the storm... No, the storm comes. It comes for both houses. The storm is coming and it comes and it just reveals what, was, what everything was built upon. So in this case, he's saying, listen, you guys, you can't escape the storm, but what you can do is make sure that when the storm comes, your house is actually built on something that's stable, something that will last, something that can withstand the storm. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is every area of your life is going to come under storm and every area of your life you'll be revealed to you what your, what your foundation was built upon, whether it was built on sand or whether it was built on stone, whether it was built on Jesus and actually hearing his words caused me to, to live the way that he called me to live, or if I heard his words, but they didn't affect me, and so I built my life on something other than what Jesus said. It will be revealed. And here's the thing. I believe that there's a time before the storm comes that you can go around and start inspecting your foundation. I believe that if you wanted to right now before the storm came, you could actually say, Jesus, is there any area of my life that's built on something other than you? Show me. Show me if there's sand in my foundation. Because we can't just assume that because we have one part of our lives entrusted to Him that it means every part of our life is entrusted to Him. You can actually hold on to parts of your life. There's people who hold on to the relationship. And their relationship matters more to them than what Jesus has said. And so that part of their life, that relationship is built on sand. Or the way they live inside of that relationship isn't built on the way Jesus called us to live. And you can quote to people. Listen, here's the danger of it. Is you can tell people, well, you know, I have to deny myself to follow Jesus. But if you're not actually denying yourself in that relationship, you're not actually following Jesus in that relationship. And all the quoting in the world isn't going to make the house stand when the storm comes. When things are good, listen, when things are good and, and you're doing for me and I'm doing for you and we're in love, all right? Because that's what the world calls love. It means you, you make me happy and I make you happy and we just smile and everything's butterflies. And it's awesome. Listen, no, listen, there is, there is an amazing way to live in a relationship where you actually are laying your lives down honoring each other and doing for each other that's awesome but here's the thing 
if our lives are built on our happiness and comfort that comes from what we receive from each other, what happens when we stop receiving for a little while? See, because here's the thing. If my life is built on the sand of my relationship with you and what you do for me, when you stop doing for me and that storm comes, my life collapses. Our relationship collapses. And if yours was built on me and what I do for you, and you're doing only as good as my ability to be perfect for you, You're doing only as good as my ability to be who I need to be for you and who you need me to be for you. If that's what our relationship is built on, when I collapse, you collapse too because neither of us has built ourselves on Christ. Neither of us has built our lives on Christ and neither of us is anchored in Him and secure in Him and being fulfilled by Him. It's never supposed to be that way. Listen, it's supposed to be this. I'm seeking the Lord and my life is built on Him. My love, the, the love that I receive is from Him. I don't need you to love me for me to feel loved. I love when you love me. It's amazing, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But even if you were to not live the way that you're called to live, it's not going to make me collapse because my life doesn't depend on you getting it right. It's built on the fact that He already got it right and He called me into that place. And here's the... See, listen to me. Here's the thing. Because if, if only one of us is built that way, when the storm comes and things get rocky and one collapses, one's still standing. One's able to say, you know what? I love you. And I want to help you. And I'm actually okay. I'm not a complete destroyed mess. I hate what you're going through. I hate to see what's happened in your life. It breaks my heart for you. But I'm okay. And I'm actually in a position where I can help you. Because my life is still standing because it was built on the rock. Come on, we were never ever supposed to be a complete disaster because someone else was a complete disaster. Ever. You were never born again so that someone else besides Jesus could have a say in whether or not your life is okay. In fact, you were called to the place where you're okay so that when people aren't okay, you can actually come and be the answer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can actually be the answer to the problem rather than affected by it to the point that now you have the same problem and now both of us needed somebody else to come along and pick us up and show us where we went wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong if that happens. Look, if you both collapse, then, then find somebody that can help you. But I am saying this. That's never his intention long term. That's a very bad plan if you plan that I'm going to only be okay as long as you're okay and you'll only be okay as long as I'm okay. And when one of us collapses, we both collapse. That's never his intention. That's not what he planned. You guys alive? Yeah. All right. I thought so. Well, it's the truth. I, I think it's a good word that he gave me. I, I, I'm thankful to him for it. I, I, I seek him for it and ask him for it, and then he gives it, and I'm like, God, you're good. Um, so, Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 18 says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
He doesn't say teaching them everything I taught you. He doesn't say discussing with them everything I've taught you. He doesn't say writing songs with them about everything I taught you. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that. But the point is, if we're doing all of that stuff, but we're not actually obeying, we're missing the whole entire thing. Because we can sing songs and discuss and write and do all these things. None of that is equivalent to obedience. None of it. We can get caught up in religious activities and we can find our security. Listen, there's people out there that find their security because of where they go to church. Because of the people around them and they draw off of that. That's why I think it says in the last days they're going to say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? He says, I never knew you. What's he saying? You might have been part of a group that was doing them, but I never knew you. We did all these things and Jesus looks at him and says, depart from me. I never knew you. I knew them, I knew them, and I knew them, but I didn't know you. Because you fooled yourself by thinking that if you went to the right church, or you sang the right songs, or you did the right things, or you built this beautiful house that fooled everybody else, that it would somehow fool God. And he's saying, listen, I don't know you. That's sobering. Because he's going to say that to some people. And he's going to say it to some people that say, we did these things in your name. That means there's going to be people who were around and saw demons cast out and sick healed. They, were, they saw it. They might have even been part of the gathering where it happened. And he looks at them and says, I'm not denying that you were there when those things happened. What I'm denying is that I knew you. part that's a sobering that's jesus that's not old testament old covenant that's jesus saying this prophetically that on that day there will be those he says come and enter into the rest and and what was prepared for you for you by my father and to those he says depart from me you workers of iniquity i never knew you that's a sobering thing. And it's not like to try to scare the hell out of us or anything like that. It's to try to take us to a place of saying he's really serious about us taking his word and actually acting on it and living our lives the way that he's called us to live. Uh, that word obey, glad he just said, like, that's not always the most comfortable word. Like, there's some words in the Bible that I love when I read them. I love reading grace. Yeah. Because that's God not giving me, that's God giving what I don't deserve because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So I get things that I never deserved. I'm welcomed into and I'm, I'm lavished with these things that I never did anything to deserve because of the obedience of Jesus. I love that. I, I, love, I love mercy. I love that God doesn't give me what I did deserve. I love that. I love that He doesn't look down and say, Roy, I remember this and I remember this and I remember this. And I remember that, and I'm going to repay you for your evil deeds. I love that he's not doing that, that he's shown me mercy, and that he says, I'm the Lord their God who will forgive them and remember their sin no more. I love that. I love that he's not in heaven keeping record of wrong. I, I love the word favor when I read it. Like that I have the favor of God on my life, and I'm blessed as I come, blessed as I go. That I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bless you and not harm you, right? I love those things, and I love reading those words. I even love some of the commands of Jesus, like when he says, follow me, because I understand if he said follow me, that meant that there was a way that I could follow him. 
Like that in the command is also the grace. That He both supplied the direction and the ability with that command to follow me. And He said, follow me. That meant where I'm going, you can go. He didn't say, follow me, run off to heaven, and then laugh with Moses and, and God and say they, they thought I was serious. They really thought they could do it. He said, follow me. And then He walked a life that was followable and gave us the same Spirit that led Him so that we could actually live the way that He lived. So much so that John said, those who claim to be in Him must live as Jesus lived. Not only does He give me the direction to it and give me the instruction that I should, but He also supplies both the ability and the desire to do that. That's amazing. But, but this word obey, sometimes it's like, you know, because it's this thing where it's like you just have to obey. But think about this. Think about what Jesus did with your worst. Like just for a minute, you know, we don't sit around beating ourselves up for sin, but just think about like, what he's forgiven you for. Th- think about that. Like, like the ugliest stuff that we're so thankful is covered by the blood of Jesus and that we'll never give account for. When we surrendered that to him, what did he do? He said he took that and he made it something beautiful. He took that ugly, nasty, filthy as rags righteousness of our own and he exchanged it for a robe of his righteousness. He took our absolute worst and made it something beautiful. Why would I be afraid of obeying someone who takes my worst and makes it beautiful? Why would I, why would I be afraid of obeying him when he asked me to give him anything else? Like, what, what could he do when I give him my best? What, what, what can he do when I offer to him the talents that he gave me, the good things that are in my life from him? If he can take my absolute worst and make it beautiful, what could he do? with the things that are amazing that are in my life from Him as gifts when I surrender and give those back to Him? Why would I be afraid to obey someone who's shown me nothing but love and kindness and mercy, who paid the price for my sin? Why would that word obey have somewhat of a negative context? I believe if it does, it's because we don't understand His love for us in that area of our life. That if we have a hard time wanting to obey Him, it's because we don't understand that everything He asks of us is always for our good. And listen, it will not always be easy. I I promise you, like the life of Jesus proves this, that sometimes God calls us to things that, that are not something we want to do. It's okay. That's why you don't live by feelings. I don't feel like it. That doesn't matter. Whether you feel like it or not, because you understand, God, even though I don't feel like it, I trust you. And because I trust you, I trust your word above my feelings, and I do what you've asked me to do, and I let what you've asked of me change the way that I live. So think about this. Here's Jesus. He's going into the garden, and he's about to be crucified. He knows what's coming for him now. He knows the way he's going to be killed. It says that he said, if I be lifted up, he said this to signify the manner in which he would die. So he already knows they're going to crucify me. They're going to hang me from a cross and raise me up into the air. He knows that they're going to cast lots for his garments and that they won't be torn. He knows all these things, right? And so here's Jesus, knowing what God is asking of him, knowing what he said yes to. And before he, when he goes to pray, the first thing he does is this. He gets alone brings the disciples with him, says, stand here and pray. And then he walks off, gets before the Father, and he says to him, and listen, like the weight of what God's asking of him is heavy. It's not like, 
you know, oh, yeah, cool, awesome, we need to do this thing. Like, there's things that God asks you. Listen, there's things that God asks of you that just make sense in the moment and that are so easy. There are. There's things, for some reason, I don't know why, and it seems like there's different things for different people, but for some reason, certain things just come so naturally to people. Like when they hear the Word of God, it instantly changes the way they think. It becomes part of their life, and from that day forward, they are never the same, and the Word of God has changed them and changed the way they think and changed the way that they live. But then there's other things that are not quite so simple sometimes, where He's asking something of us, and we get before Him like Jesus did, and this is what Jesus said. He said, Father, if there's any other way, He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass before me. What's he saying? God, if there's any other way we can redeem humanity other than me having to go to the cross, because he knows what's going to happen to him. And he's saying, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. God, if there's any way that we can redeem humanity besides me having to go through what I'm about to go through, let's do that. But nevertheless, not my will, not what I want. But your will, what you want, be done. What's he saying? God, I will obey you even though it's the last thing on earth. If there was any other way. Meaning what? If there was anything else, it's the last thing that I want to do right now. You, trust me. There may be times where your feelings are screaming, where your circumstances are screaming, and where obedience is the last thing that you want. And that's where we have to come to this place of understanding His goodness and His love for us so that we find ourselves in the same place as Jesus saying, this is the last thing that I want to do. But I'm telling you, I'll say yes. Because not what I want, but what you want needs to be done. Because I surrender my will to your will, Father. Because I give up my wants for your wants. And notice that's the first thing he does. Why is he doing that first? And then it says three other times he went and prayed. It's not recorded that he said that any other times. I think the other three times he went and prayed, he was simply just going before the Father and preparing himself for what he had already said yes to. And that first time he went back there. Because in doing so, he was establishing a yes that would hold him when they ripped his beard out. He wasn't trying to decide in the moment if it was worth it when they were ripping his beard out. If you're waiting until the storm is beating down to try to run around and check the foundation, it's a little late. And not that you can't, you know, you can get out there in the mud and you can fight and the stream's coming and you can try to prop it up and put rocks and do all these things. But listen, the easiest time for you to decide this stuff is before the first punch is thrown, before the first hair is ripped out. You get alone with the Father and you determine, God, I am determined to see this through. I'm determined for my yes to be be yes and to stay yes no matter what happens. And I surrender my will to your will, Father. All I need to know is your will. Because once I know your will, nothing else matters. Once I know what you're asking of me, obedience is the only option. Because anything else, I'm putting sand underneath my foundation and it's going to come crashing down. And so Jesus gets in that place and he says, I'm going to determine right now that no matter what it costs me, I'm giving you my yes. And then he goes and they rip his beard out of his face. And they blindfold him and punch him. You're a prophet? Prophesy. Tell us who hit you. They smash him over the head with rods. They shove thorns into it. And he's not determining whether it's worth it to be obedient in those moments. He's already determined. And that determination is keeping him in those moments. 
Because he's already said yes to the Father. He's already surrendered his will to the Father. And now it's just walking out and determining and seeing past what you've already determined was going to in your heart. I have a friend that um, was asking me about something he struggled with. And he said, so, so you're just telling me, like, you just don't struggle with this. And I said, Man, I, I don't really know exactly how to put this, like, you know, in the best words. But here's what I can tell you. For me, that's no longer an option. I've determined that and I've settled that in my heart. So I'm not every day trying to figure out if I'm going to say yes to that or no to that. I've already determined to say no. It's not an option. I don't even give myself the thought of doing that because I've determined beforehand it will never be for me. When I got set free from drugs, I didn't say, God, for the rest of my life, I want to make a decision. I knew I will never again do another drug. So now there's not this constant temptation of am I going to get high? Am I going to stay sober? Because I made a determination on that day that has kept me every single day. And every day that I seek his face, every single day, I continually give him my yes. And I live in the power of that yes for the rest of my life. And I will live in the power of that one yes for the rest of my life because I yielded my will to his will. And I said yes to him. And that yes is a thousand no's for the rest of my life. And it's not even an option. It's not even something that I'm contemplating. Because listen, the storm will come. The wind will beat against your house. But guess what? If your house is on a solid foundation, your house is built on truth, and it's built solid, and it's actually the way it's supposed to be, built on obedience to Jesus, you could open the door, and there could be a huge storm going on out there. The second you shut that door, what happens? You're in peace. The storm has no effect on you when you're inside that building that was built by truth. Sometimes you don't even know there's a storm going on because you're asleep in your bed and you're living in the fruit of what you've built in a lifetime with Him. Come on. Sometimes you're living in a house. You don't even know that you're being attacked. Why? Because what you've built with Jesus is keeping you even while you're not aware of the battle going on around you. Come on. That's what it's like to build your life on truth. That's what it's like to say, God, if you ask me to do it, I will do it. And so I'm, I'm going to close up with this. Um, there's so much more you could say, right? But what if every day, what if every day we build? Like, think about this for a second. What if it's not just a, a one-time building. Like there is that one time I surrender my life to Him and I yield my life to Him. But what if there's a continual building process? Not where I, I tear down things that were built yesterday unless they were built on sand, but where today I'll build on the foundation of yesterday. But I'm also digging new foundations and I'm determining what they're built on. Like I've already got this house built God, but I feel like you're calling me to this place of, of putting an addition on. And so today, I get to determine what I'm going to build on. So what if it's a continual yes and a continual obedience every single day and making sure that everything that we build in our lives, we're finding Him? Because see, building on, on sand is easy for a time sometimes. We've, me and Colin, my brother-in-law, we, we did the concrete work for some apartments in Charleston. I've I've built here in the upstate in our ground and I've built there. It was easier kind of there. Um, because here, I remember showing up at some lots where we were going to dig footings and you had this huge excavator and you put out the arm and it starts to dig in and it just goes, 
And, and so you put the, the, the excavator down again and you pull and it just lifts this huge excavator with this counterweight up off the ground because there's rock there. It's hard. It's not always easy. It took determination of saying, we will get a foundation in here. Not because it's easy, not because it's convenient, not, not because it's what we feel like, but because we have to. We'll do this. Because we're committed to this. Because we already said yes to building a house here. Now we're just following through with our yes, no matter how convenient or inconvenient that might be. And whatever it takes. If that means we have to hire someone to come at great expense to us with a rock hammer and start chipping into that rock and busting into it and pulling it out. And guess what? It takes a lot more time. It's a lot more expensive. And it screws our schedule all up. Listen, saying yes to Him may sometimes throw the plans that you had completely in disarray. It's okay. Still say yes. Because you might have had things scheduled out. You might have said, you know, we're going to dig footings today. We'll call in the inspection. Tomorrow we'll pour the footings. The day after that, the wall guys will show up. And in four days, they'll have it stripped. And then we will pour the, the basement and the, and the plumbers can be done. And, and next thing you know, we'll be framing. And all of a sudden, and you realize, this is going to take a lot more than I thought. This isn't going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be when we started, but it's worth it and there's no other option but to keep going until I get to where I'm supposed to be. Because I've built in Charleston where you could put the excavator bucket down and just drive backwards and it would just trench the footing behind you. You know what the problem with that was? For one, we had to do all kinds of extra work to reinforce that footing and for two, you couldn't build nearly as big a structure on top of that as you could in the one here. Building on anything but Jesus, you'll be going around trying to prop it up and reinforce it, and you'll never have the peace of mind of knowing that it's on top of rock. No matter what it looks like from the outside, you'll know. You build on that rock, and you can stand there in the face of the storm and look at it. Shut the door. Go inside. Crawl in your bed. Turn out the light. Go to sleep and know, I'll be standing in the morning. My house will still be here. It's built on Him, not because of me. All I've done is say yes to what he asked me to. He had to ask me in the first place. He had to give me the faith to say yes to begin with. I couldn't do this by myself, but now that he's given it to me, I'm going to run with it, and I'm never giving it back. So every day, maybe we build a little bit more of our life. Maybe we find some areas. and I just feel like God is not concerned at all with foundations he doesn't plan to build something great on. If you're just planning to build one story, you could, you could build in Charleston with just a little bit of rebar and eight-inch footings and wet the concrete up so much that you pour the whole building from one spot. But if you want to build a huge, great structure, that's not going to cut it. And, and the more God wants to build, the more concerned He is with the foundation. So, so what if I told you there's a storm coming for every area of your life? And, and that storm doesn't have anything to do with the construction of your building. It just reveals the way it's built. We can't blame the storm. Storms do what storms do. All they do is expose what was already there. So what if there's time right now to start checking our foundation and asking ourselves, God, is there areas of my life that I've built on that aren't you? 
God, is there any area of my life where you're calling me to obedience that I haven't obeyed, where maybe I've said it, I've wrote it on the wall, I've taught it to other people, and I've seen the fruit of it in their life, but in my life, there's an area where I'm not actually building on your truth. I'm not anchored in you. Because the easiest time to fix the foundation is before there's a big mess of a home destroyed and crashed down upon it and it's flooded and filled with water. The easiest time is while the structure is still standing and you can go and you can just say, all right, there was sand there. I've got to dig a little bit deeper there. I've got to get that sand out of there and dig down and find him. I stopped before I found him. It looks good, but it's not him. I didn't quite go deep enough. I settled for something less than Jesus. I settled for something less than rock in that area of my life. I can't have that because there's a storm coming. And I don't want to collapse for me, but I don't want to collapse for other people because he wants to build something. He wants to build something. And he's not interested in partial building standing when the storm comes. He wants the whole building standing. He wants every part of our life anchored in him to where the storm can come. We just quietly acknowledge the storm is there and then thank Him for the truth that we're anchored in. And when the storm's done, we walk outside. We look around and we see maybe there's a building over there that's collapsed and this guy had a garage wall down and then we come to him we can say to them, hey, can I help you fix that? Why? Because I'm not so busy trying to fix the mess of my life. I can actually take my eyes off of me and I can see you. I was never meant to constantly be in a process of fixing what's collapsed in my life. I wasn't supposed to be obedient so that when other people collapse, I can actually be someone who goes and helps them rebuild and gives them the truth that they need. Come on. That's the power of the gospel. That's what we're called into. God, I just thank you for your word. I, God, I thank you that it's challenging. But I thank you, God, that you, you want to build something on each of our lives, God. And you're not, you're not this concerned with our foundation unless you have great plans for what's to be built upon it. And I just ask, God, that we would be so yielded to you, God, that, that we would get alone with you and we would settle in any area of our life, God. Not your will, but my will be done. God, even if it's the last thing I feel like doing, if there was anything else, I would do that, God. But if this is what you're asking of me, then this is what I'll be obedient to because I want my life built on you. Anything else is going to be destroyed and sink. God, show me where I've propped things up before the storm shows me. God, would you come and be kind and gentle and loving and your kindness lead me to the repentance that I need, God, so that I can dig down and find you. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.